0: Hey little sister, do you know what time it was? And when you find the scene of your
1: prophet dreams contrast. Hey, this is BT Wolf and you're listening to Orange Juice for the Years for Dub Lab Radio. Uh, and we are here with the amazing Donat Carey. Um, who literally just walked in and is in a sort of flurry of activity in his life at the moment. Super exciting stuff as always. Um, so, you know, to introduce Donick, like he is the man behind pretty much your, you know, the most loved comedy shows from Simpsons to Parks and Recreation, got his start on Letterman. Uh, so he's kind of responsible for... Making me laugh all the time, which is a, a pretty good responsibility to have. Um, but in addition to that, he has founded this incredible music charity called Musac, which has the vision of sort of getting you know music and instruments to teens um, and kids uh, in in the states, but also outside the states. Um, realizing that for him you know, music was this thing that got him through high school and, and it was this sort of source of great comfort and and a great friend. So,
0: Donic, you're here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me and congratulations on the show. Well done so far. Everything's going great. Um, yeah, glad to be here.
1: I love how you say everything's <laughs> going great when this is the first
0: show. Yeah, nothing. Well, nothing's <laughs> gone wrong.
1: So far, nothing has gone wrong. Um, And we listened to The Eleventh Hour by uh, Rancid. And that was, uh, I guess, kind of the first time I met you or I encountered you. It was in your garden um, and at a party. I didn't really know what this party was, except that it was for this incredible charity that you'd set up. And, you know, I'm not actually a huge party person, um, but it was Without a doubt, the best experience I've had
0: in Los Angeles, oh no, that's awesome, At- yeah, yeah, nothing more inspiring than a than our rancid song to kick off the off the day. um I like that you call it our garden because it's just a big backyard, and uh we tried gardening this year, and I have some beans coming up, but I'm not doing very well otherwise. um the backyard show is super fun. It's, it's been this way that we've, I've now keep meeting people that are like, oh, I've been to your house. We've been in your backyard. You know, we saw, we saw the English beat there. We saw Rancid there. We saw whatever, like, oh, right. That's so cool. And I never would have even known you were there, but it's a good connector.
1: Oh, wow. I feel very special.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but it was, you know, it was
1: just this feeling of like, I don't know, I guess, you know, what it had and what I feel like everything you do has, and also what music has, Is this amazing feeling of just good people doing things with good intentions and being super down to earth and like so watching Tim play that track unplugged in a tree, you know, you don't get more grassroots than that.
0: Yeah. You know, this, this is one of those things that sort of, you know, we say a lot when we're writing stories that like, oh, it's be nice if it happened organically. And it becomes a little bit of a cliche that you're looking for things to happen organically or whatever. But this charity happened very organically. It came out of the high school I went to. There was a very simple need. They just had some kids who needed guitars. And, you know, I, I, I knew what it was like to be those kids. So it was very easy to empathize and see what they were going through. It's a, it's, it's a place that, um, I grew up on Nantucket Island, which there's a lot of, um, extreme wealth disparity. There's a lot of, um, winter versus summer. There's a lot of, uh, uh, <clears throat> and it's very claustrophobic in the winter. So when there was just like, we need 10 guitars, it was like, oh, that's a very easy thing to do. Let's get 10 guitars. And then music started happening. And music is the thing for me that gets you through almost everything. Um, and when it came up again a year later, when I was like, well, how do we raise money to get things that make music? It was like, well, why don't we just make music? Like, And you start this sort of feedback loop or a perpetual um, sort of the wheel. The wheel starts rolling. And it's like if music is being made and that's raising money that then can make more music, then more music will be made, which will make more money to get more kids playing music. So it was such a wonderful way to look at charity was like oh we get to do something really fun and something really fun comes out of it and and so it was easy
1: and it feels good you know and i think when you do something that you ultimately have so much passion for which you do i mean music is such a huge part of your life then you're doing it you know with for the right reasons with the right intention and people feel that and so they want to be a part of it and as you said it is that positive cycle and
0: Well, yes, and I mean to the other thing you were saying too was just like it it was always the DIY spirit of music which is like you can have the power to do it whether it's just you have a guitar and you're playing something or you figure out how to manage a turntable or do beats. However you want to make music, you can do that and have the power to do that. This was an extension of that was like Oh, we can start a charity. Oh, we can have, a, if we set up speakers, people will come and play. Um, and that spirit kind of pervades the whole thing. Uh, so people like Tim Armstrong, when they hear about it and it goes like, oh, that's how I think. That's how I do things. Let's, I'll just come and play in a tree. So that's been a, he's been a wonderful, uh, he, he's a five-time Muzak backyard concert veteran now. So. Wow. How, <laughs> but, out of how many? Out of this year will be our ninth concert, uh, backyard concert.
1: And it, you started it in 2007.
0: So the, the charity festival. started in 2007, and um, it really was like for the first two years, we were just supporting the kids on Nantucket, uh, and that that grew and grew. What, what made me, again, organically, it sort, it sort of took on a life of its own. We were supporting 10 kids originally, then 20 kids playing guitar, getting little videos of them playing songs, and I was like, oh, this is so cool, what else do they need? And then they were like, well, they want to do a middle school production of Lion King we need to buy the sheet music. And I was like, oh, well we can support that's music. Why not? And then, uh, the service industry there is mostly now, not mostly, but a lot of Jamaican, Bulgarian and Honduran kids. And they came to us and were like, we don't want to play guitar. We want to rap. So we want to start a rap lab. And how do we do that? and, We partnered with some some people there to set up a rap lab, and so all winter they worked on rap songs, and they sent us these songs that were filled with very, uh, I would say, R-rated material. That I was like, well, you can't really play this at your school, but it's great. You're (laughs) sharing your stories and your feelings and getting out, you know. And they were, it was awesome, you know, just to hear what was on their mind. But we did some podcasting. We did a whole bunch of stuff there, and it it occurred to us like oh, well, let's keep this going. We need some more money for this. Let's do a show in our backyard. And once we had, Yolotengo Yo is the first band that played, along with Dengue Fever, a great local LA band um, that does Cambodian psychedelic rock. And um, the Soft Pack, who I- I'm not sure they're still recording, but they're great guys. And then we had a few comedians in between, and it was just like a-, a barbecue, bunch of great music. And we raised more money than we thought we would. It was just donations. And we were like, oh my God, Maybe we can do more than just Nantucket. Why wouldn't we do something here? We're in Los Angeles, so we started some outreach with um, LA Unified after-school programs, uh, Compton. One of the first things we did was was buy drums for a drum line in Compton. Um, and once once we did a couple programs in LA, it was like, well, why couldn't we just support music anywhere? <laughs> and then it started growing, and now, so, last count, it was about four thousand kids in twenty different locations. Um, Amazing, amazing. And
1: so, you know, with the idea of this show, Orange Juice for the Years, um, being about essentially music going way beyond entertainment as something core to our humanity, our identity, our well-being, our ability to connect, you know, and I have this music dementia project which very much reminds me of of that. So I feel like, you know, I'm going to read the full quote, which is Oliver Sacks, you know, neurologist Oliver Sacks. And I'm just, I feel like everything that you're doing sort of embodies that, but I'm curious to know what your take is. So music can lift us out of depression or move us to tears. It is a remedy, a tonic, orange juice for the ear.
0: Yeah. For me, you know, like, um, as somebody who's always, I, you know, I grew up I'll just talk about religion for a second because it's one of the things that humans grasped onto to try to make sense of everything Um, is I grew up in a very liberal Unitarian uh, church. Like we'd go to church every week, but they were brewing beer in the basement and it was mostly old hippies and it was a place to read poetry and. It, it it was not um, about guilt and and uh, uniformity and showing up. Going and stuff. to hell. <laughs> there, were, there, there was there was really no hell. It was oh, sort yeah. of like here's a place we can share ideas. Um, as I grew up and looked at what religion offered a lot of people and what they look for, I started started to realize like, oh, I guess the reason I don't seem to need this for myself is that music has always provided this. It's always there for me. It's the thing that we. Have ceremony with when we, we, the, the way we we um, celebrate and mark occasions and years passing and birthdays and what would be christenings. We have we play music, you know. Um, but it's also there when you're down, when you're depressed, when you're like it feels like you're all alone, when you're you know, um, and also it it somehow helps you understand love and. Uh, uh, uh mortality and you know all the big things. It's like, oh, there's music that helps you with that. It's also something that is non-denominational and uh you can do with it what you want. It's a tool for you and it's infinite and there's a million forms of it, you know. So it's a and it's a way to connect and unify with the rest of the universe and the other people and and stuff. So um so I love the quote. <laughs> um and And yeah, music has always, it is really something that like, we should be supporting. It makes you smarter. It makes you a better person. It makes you connect with other people and be able to express yourself. It's like all good.
1: Yeah. And so with that in mind, like, do you remember the first song that really imprinted on you growing
0: up? Yeah, this is one of those, when when you were sort of telling me about the show and thinking about songs, it's always that hard question. And people are like, oh, what kind of music do you like? And I imagine just looking at your diverse ex- experiences and types of things you get into is it's an impossible question. There's so much music that matters to you and in a thousand million different ways. But the the song that I was going back to, I was just having a little flash to, you know, the Beatles were a big part of growing up. They were always on in the background that I think they're a big part of the DNA of a lot of us anyway, you know, but um, the the song that just was jumping out for no random, I mean, for a little bit of a random reason was the two of us, which really I had a wonderful childhood. Uh, My mom was very creative and would, a lot of my worldview came from, um, her quote is always the enthusiasm for the silly things. Like she embraced things. She saw the world as inspiration to create and give back. Uh, So that song was always about sort of felt like one of the first things as early as three or four years old, going on adventures with my mom out on nantucket walking through the moors and finding basket weaving materials and making baskets or whatever
1: well let's take a listen to the beatles and two of us Hey, this is BT Wolf, and we're here with Orange Juice for the Ears for Dublab Radio. Um, and this is actually the first episode, um, technically. A week ago, I had the amazing Ali from Dublab interviewing me about the idea of the show and getting my Orange Juice for the Ears. But this is the first official guest, and we have really no better guest to start with. Than the amazing Donick Carey, who's probably responsible for making you laugh more than anyone else with Simpsons, Parks and Recreation, uh, Silicon Valley, Letterman. Um, but actually, the thing I love about Donick is he has this charity, Muzak, and that seems to be really at the heart and the core of what he's about. Um, so, you know, Donick, we just hit, heard uh, the Beatles, two of us, and that Reminded you really of growing up in Nantucket and you being best buds with your mom.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's it took me a long time to be like, oh, it's okay to be best buds with your mom when you're three and four, and maybe your whole life. Um, you know, it it I I had to I had to t- start having children before you can realize a lot of those things. And you're like, <laughs> oh, it's okay to also like like Star Wars and be like enjoy things with kids. It takes a lot of the filters off again and you go like, all right, we could just have fun sometimes. And, um, I think, uh, it, it also made me flash back a lot to the time I spent with my mom and how giving she was to, you know, when you're three, four, five, even 10, 12, 50, you're in a bubble. You don't realize that you're just all about you and what you want and whatever. And she was just there and was up for it. And we sang and read books and just, you know, so, so
1: w- was your family you know was she was your father were they musical did you have music in that was that part of your childhood very much
0: for sure i mean i I, I would say um you know there was the we, it was all records then there was always a record player there's always records spinning um you know one of the one of the strands of my DNA when I look back and go like oh that's why records make so much sense to me is is um you know my dad was a dj in high school in the fifties and he was it, i think it was I'm not sure exactly the years. I think it was 54 to 58, but it's really like the birth of rock and roll. So he bought every 45 then. He meticulously labeled them, organized them, and put them in boxes, which he has had. He's given them – I have them now. It's this wonderful collection of old 45s. But as a kid, I'd go over and open these boxes that were like – like ceremony you talk yeah. about, they were, they were better than, you know, like opening a Bible or something. And you'd start <laughs> to page through and you're like, who's Ricky Nelson? Who's, who's Eddie Cochran? Who's Elvis Presley? Who's the Everly brothers. And you'd carefully play one. You'd listen to the song. Oh, the crickets. What these sound a lot like Buddy Holly. Oh no, no, the crickets were Buddy Holly before Buddy Holly was his own thing. You know, you just learn how music kind of morphed when rock and roll is being discovered by all these people. Um, so that was a wonderful way to bond with my dad but in a bigger sense there was always records playing you know it was the I, I was born in 68 so from 68 to 78 it was those years of of rock and roll records of of that were always um you know fleetwood mac and and elton john and the a lot of beatles bob dylan um so yeah always mm-hmm. music and they both played music too my mom would write songs all the time they were theatrical mate did plays my dad played bluegrass harmonica so there was constant music
1: amazing and I think no you touched upon it it's like and I know I go on about it but that you know that physicality of records that sort of tangible component that feeling of like opening it up like a story and you know you have the artwork you have the liner notes um you have this ceremony and it you know really for me like that imprinted on me as a kid and that was what led to everything you know because it was just this real feeling of of discovery and imagination and sort of you know thinking about what that all meant and it wasn't just the music but it set the stage for the music and it sort yeah. of allowed the music to then go deep
0: yes and, and, and reminded you to like sit down open this thing you're you're taking a little journey now so so stop <laughs> for a second yeah and, and go with the artist you know let's see where they want to take you
1: so in that in that vein, was there an album that you really remember, sort of impacting upon you, hitting you in the face?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, there's so many. I, I know I sent a couple back and forth. What did I land on? <laughs> yeah, that, that would be fun to play. I know there was like it was. This is one of those impossible questions. And so you say, what's your favorite album or whatever? <laughs> I flash through like.
1: So it was yeah. So you know it's kind of funny because Donick sent a few. Um, for a lot of them, he had a pretty clear answer, but with this one, there are a few suggestions. And um, I felt like Dead Kennedys and Holiday in Cambodia, okay. I kind of Great. felt that that was what was at your, you know, the secret real answer, just because of the fact that, you know, you're, you're a teenager at that point, and it's sort of everything that it kind of came together with realizing Reagan was a dick and, you know, all of that stuff.
0: Yeah. There was something about the Dead Kennedys for me that was like, I I, I love punk rock. It was, it was a place where suddenly music was your own. It felt like it was something you were bringing into the household or into the, you know, like finding and bringing in, it certainly wasn't a part of my mom's record collection. Um, but somehow, you know, I love the Sex Pistols and, and, and the Clash and the Damned and, you know, the big, The big ones, but that somehow the Dead Kennedys, when that landed and the Ramones uh, crazily, obviously, I don't know why obvious, but um, Iggy, I could go on and on and on. But (laughs) somehow the Dead Kennedys were a, those albums were coming out when I was that age. So they were brand new. These were new ideas that were like landing in your lap and it was this mix of very ominous, which the times felt like and maybe we're still in those times and maybe the times always feel a little ominous, but also super funny. Like there was something going on in there between the art and and what the way Jello was delivering stuff and their names and their the whole ethos was like, oh, yeah, we're going to kill you with both sheer power comedy and identifying that as all ominous and we're not buying into any of this bullshit.
1: Okay, so let's have a listen to Holiday in Cambodia, Dead Kennedys. good way to wake up. Um, I'm sure most people have been awake since six. <laughs> but if you're waking up now, then you're waking up in a in a good way. Uh, this is BT Wolf and you're listening to Orange Juice for the Years for Dub Lab Radio. And that was Holiday in Cambodia by Dead Kennedys from Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. That was Donat Carey's uh, second or th- second choice of uh, for his Orange Juice for the Years selection. We are here with Donick, um, who is just incredible. And uh, we're chatting about the music that has shaped him throughout his life. Um, and that was pretty big on the list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If that song doesn't get you fired up to go do something, just go do something, <laughs> whatever it is, start a band or make do some kind of change it like it makes me smile, but in the craziest ways, you know, like it's a reminder that there's real evil out there and it's a reminder that we got to step up, stand up to that, whatever we can. Um, I guess it's, it, I was trying to think like the contrast between those two songs, the two of us by the Beatles, which to me is just unrequited love. Like that is just this, like, it's all there for you, you know? Um, and and holiday in Cambodia, which which is this reminder that like we don't have to do that. We have the tools as humans to make it better and be there and not have to have crazy atrocities. I mean that song specifically, but mm. um, but humor is a way to to remind us about that stuff. I'm a little all over the place. Sorry, <laughs> <I'm> trying <laughs> no. to connect a bunch of ideas.
1: <laughs> no, but the, I feel like this is what music does. It's sort of like. Ultimately, when you start thinking about all those influences and how they all connect and all that DNA and, you know, how, I don't know. I love the fact that we've gone from the Beatles to Dead Kennedys. And in between, we've talked about, you know, punk. um, I've shown you, as I show everyone, (laughs) my mom's (laughs) punk book and film, which she did in 77 uh, for the sort of birth of the UK scene. Um, And, yeah, I don't know. I feel like... Music just gets you fired up and, and it's good to be fired
0: up. What was the first, not to go on a huge sidetrack, but what was the first song for you from your mom from the UK punk scene as she was covering that?
1: Oh, I haven't prepared for this. No. Everyone. So yeah, it, I think it would have to be um, the Sex Pistols doing My Way.
0: Yeah. Have you heard that? That's. I mean, that just the video of that from yeah. Great Rock and Roll Swindle is one of the... Like clearly a peak in punk rock, but also in music history of of Sid Vicious stumbling down the stairs and and uh, yeah yeah oh and then the I guess the Dead Kennedys on this album doing Viva Las Vegas is is like the the punk rock rebirth of Frank Sinatra or Elvis Presley. There's some continuity there of going like yeah things are changing. You know um, stand your toes, people.
1: And would you – because I feel like music, you know, your charity, uh, has a very punk rock spirit. Mm-hmm. So, w- you know, would you say that your sort of love of punk in your teen years, is that something that influenced the the sort of vibe of the charity?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think it goes back to that DIY thing, which was always very punk rock, which was like all you need is a guitar, all you need is your voice, all you need – you know um, – all we need to do is get set up some speakers and people will come and play. Uh, The, the, the idea of this, that kept resonating with me, that, that, um, the charity kind of comes from is to me, the original punk rocker is Woody Guthrie who just went out with a guitar and spoke truth. Um, He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care if he got kicked out of the thing. He, you know, he just kept going, kept singing, kept saying, you know, like uh, he rise above, rise above. Like he just, um, so We put on all our guitars when we give them away. We put a sticker that says this machine because Woody Guthrie had on his guitar. This machine kills fascists. So we put a sticker that says this machine kids can write in on it, whatever it does for them, that that that's a machine to do whatever you need, which is a punk rock idea of like stand up for yourself, do what you need to do to make change. Um, So it started with Woody. I think the a lot of. For some reason this charity resonates with a lot of punk rockers. Tim mm. Armstrong is a big supporter and and showed up. Um, you know, Mike Watt came and did a show and you know, the the advice from the Minutemen was always start a band. Um I think that's what we're trying to do for kids is find find your people, start a band, speak your mind, tell us your stories. Like any version of that is is there's no nothing premeditated about it except just go do it. And so, with that idea
1: of Muzak's mission, essentially of making teens and kids empowered, and I think it comes back to that word, empowering. You know, which is sort of the punk spirit and everything that you're saying. Uh, Rancid, Tim Armstrong, that first track that we heard, the Eleventh Hour. Like, it's all about empowering the individual and realizing that your voice is valuable and that you can contribute. And I think a lot of people feel they they can't contribute or that they're not, you know, their voice isn't something to worth hearing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of this too, the very seeds of this came out of some, some teen suicide that was happening and this idea of desperation or being isolated. I grew up on an island, which is very literally that or feels like that. But as we would meet kids in Compton or on the Navajo reservation or at Aboriginal Australia, wherever we went and talked about what they needed, there's... There's some corners to things that feel like a li- you get a little desperate or trapped. And music is a great release for that, is a great way to break out of that and and zoom out from that and get above that and, and not feel like you're stuck in a box anymore.
1: Was there a time in your life when you felt that music really was a savior for you in a very specific way?
0: Um, I'm sure I, I had a great version of this yesterday when I was thinking about I these. remember you, no. like
1: between tracks, you were talking a bit about, you know, your mom's passing and then also right. that the, your parents divorced
0: and... Yeah. I mean, there are definitely times, uh, do you want to talk about tonight, like, or move into that? Or was there another song in in between? I'm no, so sorry. No, I mean, it's, you know, I think. What... You're doing a great job setting me up. I'm forgetting what I had, su- <laughs> well, I had suggested. It, as this is a song. like,
1: hey, it's, it's way better if I'm just, basically I'm Donick's, um orange juice for the years. Choices. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so I think we talked a bit about, um, you know, we talked about tonight and how, right. uh, you know, that for some reason just felt like this very powerful um, reminder when you were going through a pretty difficult time.
0: Yeah, the songs. So songs seem to materialize when you need them. And you, it's it's unclear exactly why they're they're What which song? does that you know when I met when I met my wife for some reason the Pixies cover of Jesus and Mary Chains head-on was the song and for 25 years that's been like I'm like that's her that's us whatever that is that makes sense when my when my mom passed away uh, a couple years ago after five years of cancer just like a lot of bullshit and dealing with like the stuff that cancer brings um When she passed away, for some reason, that the song by David Bowie "Tonight" just came into my head, and I don't think I had heard it since high school. I don't think I always liked it in high school, but it wasn't a seminal song for me or anything. It was just one of a song, uh, one song on an album that was like, "That's pretty good," but some of these songs are better or whatever. And then for some reason, that song just came out of nowhere, like we were just talking about. It's like a big hug. It's David's voice and very simple lyrics. Tonight everything will be all right. Like just, okay. It's okay. It's over this battle with cancer. This, all the, all the crap that you deal with in her life. It's okay. That's that we're going to let that go now. What a beautiful thing for her, for that, for that I could let that go too. Um, so that song was there. It's
1: yeah. Cause, and I, you know, we, we were sort of saying, but I have only met one other person who felt like Tonight was a song that they'd um, highlight because in many ways it's it's kind of cheesy. It's not necessarily the period people really associate with Bowie's, like, high point. Um, but you just listen to that and you cannot feel anything but pure love. And I, I don't know how many thousands of times I've heard it and it always makes me feel sort of like, yeah, like everything's going to be okay. Um, so... And that was actually the track that I chose a week ago to send into space because I felt like, I felt like if aliens can just get a sense that you know we st- make some pretty good stuff here on Earth, even if we make some pretty <laughs> terrible stuff. Yeah. And you know, Bowie singing that with Tina Turner, the the even watching them live do that, and just how much love was between them, and then him writing it with Iggy, and you know, it feels yeah. just like there's no ego in that whole production it just feels like pure human love so um that was my choice and i guess you know now i want to know what song would you send in
0: space do it uh well i was thinking about space and what would be important to share with aliens you know um and and there's a lot of great musicians who clearly have had contact in some way or another from from like link ray to frank black and the pixies or whatever there's just there's been a lot of um you know, Rocky Erickson, there's people who come to mind of like, oh, they've clearly talked to aliens at some point and gotten <laughs> inspiration from another planet. But I I felt like there's um, I thought Bjork did a great job with human behavior, just going like, here's what we are. So if you're coming down to interact with us, here's a here's a quick handbook for what humans, what our ups and downs are. So get ready.
1: OK, well, let, on that note, let's hear Human Behavior by Bjork. We're listening to uh, Bjork and Human Behaviour, and that's the track that Donnick Carey would send into space. Uh, and this is BT Wolf. You're listening to Orange Juice for the Ears, the music that is most meaningful to you. And today's you is Donnick Carey, uh, the incredible screenwriter, producer for Simpsons, Parks and Recreation, Silicon Valley, uh, and founder of music charity, Muzak. So, Donick, um, So much music. (laughs) Impossible task. That's all that needs to be said. But, um, you know, just thinking about um, this is kind of a weird one in some ways. But as a kid, the first song I identified as something I wanted in my lifetime was thinking about the song I wanted at my funeral. Mm -hmm. I was like six. I don't know why I was thinking about that. Pretty morbid um, human being. But um, and that was (laughs) I Can See Clearly Now by the, uh, the Jimmy Cliff version. So awesome. What would you like to go out to?
0: Yeah, I guess I I guess that's part of like, as you're a kid, you're trying to figure out like, well, what's the statement I will have made by then? So I have to start working on that. I better get busy, you know, so and what song would represent that? Um, The one I, I, you know, on some of these, I was just like, well, there's too many. And then you just go like, well, what's the song that pops into your head? For some reason, the cures six different ways popped into my head. It felt like and I know it's Probably Robert Smith talking about dealing with the press, which is not at all the feeling I take away when I get it. It's a little bit more like trying to figure out how do you say anything? How do you communicate with other people? What's the message you want to share with them? Um, that's, that's a tough thing. But that song also feels like a little quirky, a little unexpected, a little um, sweet and melancholic. So those all felt like things that I wouldn't mind getting to in passing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's, let's have a listen to um, Six Different Ways.
0: This is stranger than I thought Six different ways
1: inside my heart And everyone I'll keep here tonight Six different ways go deep inside That was Six Different Ways by The Cure. Um, And that was Donick Carey's uh, fourth choice in Orange Juice for the Years as the track that he would like to leave uh, this mortal coil to.
0: (laughs) I think it's just one comment on that is I think it's this is stranger than I ever thought six different ways inside my heart. Both of those things for me are always like like Jim Morrison has a line, right? Like, this is the strangest life I've ever lived or whatever, is like, everything is strange if you look at it right. It, nothing is expected unless you fall into some crazy routine, which is not what we should be doing anyway. The way you evolve is constantly not being in routine. Um, anyway, uh, but the other thing is like, um, six different ways inside my heart, it was always this idea of like, there's always so many choices. How do you pick anything? How do you decide anything? So there's const- this constant like thing go like life is this who knows if you're ever making the right choices (laughs) there's six different ways for everything anyway no and
1: i you know i think um it's also that divergent thinking which i think kids are amazing at and we're terrible at Um, so and if we can be more like kids and and realize there's never one way you know yeah um so you came from a musical family um, and you now have a musical family, you created a musical family, both literally with your family, but also you know music um was you know in in that sense was it always something with your kids that you felt like music was a a big part of um what you wanted to be sharing passing on and
0: yeah, it's funny when uh Kim and I started having. Babies, we were like, I you know, I was like, well, what are the things that really matter? It's like it doesn't really matter if they play sports, it doesn't really matter. You start crossing off the things that like what really, really matters. I was like, oh well, they have to play music because that will get them through anything. And they have to write every day for ten minutes. Um, you quickly understand that not everybody just does things that you think are the best things to do. We started with piano. Our daughter was like, tried valiantly to play piano, but hated it. And I was like, well, this is absolutely not the point of playing music is to be be put down in front of a piano and terrified, go to recitals and stuff. Um, So then I was like, Oh, let's just, let's, let's just play music all the time and let's have concerts in the backyard and let's expose them to whatever music they need. And I was talking about like taking to her to her, her as a teenager to a Bjork show and watching her eyes light up and going like, oh, Bjork is connecting with her. That's hers now. She's finding her own things anyway. I mean, when I look at her playlists and there's people who've played in the backyard like Jonathan Richman and I go like, oh, my teenage daughter also, Jonathan Richman means something to her, but so does Panic at the Disco. And she's got this wonderful palette of, tools to now use. My son, I took him to a Weezer show and his brain exploded. And he was like, Weezer gets it, you know, and for him, Weezer became a really powerful thing. And I'm like, this is, that's what it's all about. So yes.
1: So it sounds like you don't really have to pass on anything to them because they sort of have it all in terms of that kind of musical like thirst. But, but symbolically, if you had to give them one record, um, you know, as a sort of hand me down, what would that be?
0: Yeah, the 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 one that I was thinking about was just that kind of says it all. Is is the soundtrack from "Stop Making Sense" for the Talking Heads? It's basically a greatest hits album, but they're they're their own songs reconceived for the movie. The movie's great, um, and I I was gravitating towards the song um, "Girlfriend Is Better" because it's got the phrase "Stop Making Sense," which has been a, a motivator for me my whole life. Of just like when things get a little confusing, it's okay. It's better. Stop making sense.
1: And is that something that you feel like, um, you know, so if, if we're looking, say, at the music landscape today, what do you think we have gained and what do you think we've lost? Maybe since, you know, you were growing up in Nantucket.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, we touched on it before, but the the sort of forced study of an album that you would have just by you'd have to save your money, you'd have to go get it. It it already had some importance by the time you got it home because you had worked for it. Um, You had to carefully put it down. You'd have to listen to all the songs. You'd have to really curate in your own head, which ones you like the best. Um, you could make a mixtape out of that. There was a lot of, uh, sort of sweat equity that already went into appreciating what you were being given by the artists. Um, so there was that, that I think we've lost some of that, which is a bummer. Now you can still pursue stuff that way, but there's a little bit of like, it's very hard for me to consume music. There's way too much. If Spotify goes like, here's your, here's this week's top songs for you. I'm like, here's 200 new songs. I like some of these bands. I don't even know where to start. It's on in the background. I'm not I'm not relating to it the same way.
1: Yeah. I think it's twofold. There's not the same value attached, as you said. And it's also, you're not present, you know, and you're not, there isn't a re- real reason to sit down with a record in that same way anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and so just looking back at some of your Orange juice for the year choices. Donnick, Carrie. Yes. What would you say? What's the thread that connects them all?
0: Um, I I feel like I, I had a good way of phrasing this, so I would just say uh, that that they're all there for you when you need them. They all give you some. It's 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 like a non-verbal playbook for how to deal with something. So it's hard to describe because it's nonverbal, but you feel it. They're all something that transcends. Our silly attempt at explaining what feelings are with words—you know—they <laughs> um, all do that in some way. And you know, we're just—we're
1: going to close in just a minute, and we're going to close with um, on a very good note on "Stop Making Sense." Um, Girlfriend is better, uh, which was the the album and and the track that Donick would like to pass on to his kids. Um, and, you know, you've been listening to Beady Wolf. This is Orange Juice for the Years for Dub Lab uh, Radio. And our guest today was the amazing, is the amazing, still here, <laughs> even though we've talked about the memorial track, um, is the amazing Donat Carey, um, screenwriter, producer, founder of um, the incredible charity Muzak. Um, and, yeah, I just, I guess my only last question is, um what is it that you hope to leave behind with all the work that you're doing?
0: Uh yeah, I mean I think the simple way to say it is songs to fill the air, you know, was um is that it it's a it just keeps people can make music that makes more music. It would be a great thing.
1: And where but, would where would you love to see muzak in 10 years time?
0: Um I would love that, that we would get to a place that we were, we had a little bit more just like some grants or some bigger financing that allowed us to start to connect all these kids in a, in a more profound way, whether that's travel and exchanges or just digitally, that they can just be making songs together, kids from Cuba and Appalachia suddenly collaborating or kids from Nantucket and Compton. so
1: I feel like that's going to happen given your kick raw energy spirit. Um, Thank you. (laughs) So Donnick, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: The pleasure is mine. Thank you so much. And great show. Congrats.
1: Thank you.